All right, we now welcome on Super Talk, Do It All Man, Sports Talk, Mississippi, three to six every day, uh, Monday through Friday. Michael Borky. I honestly don't remember the last time we did a podcast. I know it wasn't that too long ago, but a lot has changed since. Um, Ole Miss has won the national title in baseball. We're to talk uh, realignment mostly, but I mean, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't get your take on that. We almost did a pod right before the national title series, but it was also logjam and I was leaving for Omaha. Um, I, we couldn't end up getting it done, but um, congrats on the free content to fill the show for all quite a long time. It's, it's a nice luxury being in Mississippi to have that. Yeah. Or people actually care. Yeah. Um, no, that, that was awesome for a lot of reasons, of course, but, but just being in the content game where you cover both and having two teams play, I mean, last year because COVID disrupted everything, they played even later than this. Uh, so to have two years where teams made it all the way to the the national championship series w- was just easy uh, from that perspective. But obviously, Ole Miss fans are listening to this. Um, it, it's almost fitting in a way that this was the Mike Bianco team that won it all. There were so many other Mike Bianco teams that from start to finish in the regular season were elite-level baseball teams that played generally very good baseball basically the entire season. And it happens to be this one where despite the, the veteran talent that they had and, and the experience and all that, the team that didn't have its pitching rotation figured out multiple weeks into conference play uh, that was obviously 7-14, and 14, all the storylines that, that everybody knows, this is the team that broke through and won a national championship. It's fitting unexpected, incredible, all those adjectives all at the same time. Um, And it ends the conversation, right? Uh, I mean, there was some reluctance uh, with us to to talk about program future and stuff because, one, who Mike Bianco is and how long he's been at Ole Miss, but but I wasn't reluctant to to talk about that as much just because, you know, I have – I have no personal relationship. It was no skin off my back, and generally I'm a little bit – I don't want to say harsh because I'm not harsh, but I, I just I don't feel bad talking about the jobs of multimillionaires, and, and so I was I was talking about it openly. Hey, if if they don't make the tournament, which seems likely, this should happen. Not only is it going to happen, it should. And, and for for me to sound so stupid <laughs> over those weeks talking about job security and program future and all that, boy, I don't like listening to what I had to say in April because I look and am very stupid. But in a weird way, it's fitting that this was the team, the one that everybody doubted, the one that everybody hated for the most part. You're exactly right in that sense. We weren't, like, wrong, though. I mean, they were 7-14 and leaving Fayetteville. They were three losses away from, like, literally being mathematically eliminated for all intents and purposes from the NCAA tournament. Like, there's no hope. I mean, that team was the last team in the field – at 14 and 16 with the governor's cup win. Like if they had lost three more games leaving Fayetteville, they were done. And like this program would be in a completely different state now. And I mean, it literally took an eight and two finish with the road win at Southern Miss to even just get them in by the skin of their teeth. It's like, you're right. It is kind of perfect because what Bianco kind of through the, not kind of through the years, he's built this program around. He likes to have frontline and this is not, he likes his preference. This is what 11.7 kind of allots you. This is probably one of the better proven paths is frontline starting pitching, have one really, really good guy, hopefully a pretty good number two. And then a pretty strong middle of the lineup, 
you're probably rarely going to have great outfielders, just a bunch of hitters out there. Ironically, though, that 14 team had a pretty damn good outfield. That was kind of the la- one of the last ones. But, like, that's kind of his mold. And you've had so many teams – because it's hard to lose regular season games when you've got dudes on Friday and Saturday from the time you pick up the ball in February, right? The Gunnar Hoagland, uh, Doug McKaysey mix. And this was the complete inverse of that. I mean, this is a this is a team and a guy who abandoned the concept of starting pitching altogether. I'm not sure I'll ever cover whatever you want to call this now, be around the team um, that abandons the concept of starting pitching. That's been in baseball for quite some time. I mean, Mike literally had a quote after that Alabama series, like, we don't have starters and relievers, we just have pitchers. And then for all of it to come together the way it did is crazy. But it's like, we weren't wrong, though, because it was going to happen. And it was fair and probably time had it happened, but I'm not sure if that's like the just ending. Like this feels like the do, like the, the rightful, not conclusion, but the rightful outcome uh, that Mike, cause he built the national championship worthy program, or at least an Omaha worthy program that had some bad luck. And for him to break through this way, yes, it's the extreme one way winning the whole thing, but like just him going out unceremoniously like that, it just would have sucked for a lot of different reasons. And like, I don't even say that as someone who particularly likes the guy personally, it's just, he built a damn good program. And if that was really the way it was going to end with that team, it would have just sucked all around. And then it, it, it was the quite opposite of that. And I'm still kind of in shock that it happened. It makes me view the college baseball postseason way differently. Maybe I should have been paying attention with state, but it's just kind of get in, get super hot. And if you have the talent, you're good to go. It, this does feel more right. Um, and what's so impressive uh, aside from the fact that uh, none of us saw this coming, especially me, I never would have guessed that they would have been able to do this. It's that you can say, and you'd be right that, well, this is how the team should have always been that the, the way they were in the postseason, that that's what they were always capable of. That's why they were so frustrating is because you knew that the talent was there and the ability was there. They just didn't put it together. But when they put it together, they were dominant. I, I mean, Kids show earmuffs, they kicked Southern Miss's ass. And that was a really good Southern Miss team. Some, some people are weird, man. So well, we spent the week talking about, hey, Ole Miss fans, this is a really good Southern Miss team. LSU fell into the trap last week. I don't know if you saw the quotes where a couple of LSU players are doing a podcast interview with a former LSU player uh, who does like podcasting and stuff now. And he asked them if they were uh, looking past Southern Miss uh, to the Super Regional because for some reason they believed that they would host a Super Regional if they beat Southern Miss, which wasn't true. But anyway, um, and they were like, yeah, I know we're not supposed to, but we obviously all are looking past Southern Miss. And we spent the week saying, hey, these are two elite-level starters, great stuff. This is a scrappy baseball team. They've won a lot of close games. They belong here. They deserve to be here. And then after the series was over, like we do a winners and losers segment, and like four people were like, Borky's a loser because he hyped up Southern Miss all week and they sucked. I'm like, hold on. They didn't suck at all. You made them look like they sucked because of how great you were. And then that carried over into Omaha. I mean, they, they were significantly better than Auburn. And they were better than Arkansas, closer games, but still. And then they were, they dominated Oklahoma. The, the, the postseason run in and of itself is impressive because they won a national championship. Obviously, that's impressive. But the manner in which they went about it when they were clearly the best team, clearly the best team in Coral Gables, they were clearly the best team in Hattiesburg. 
and I think it's inarguable that they were clearly the best. I mean, they won the thing, but you get my point. Clearly the best team in Omaha. They didn't just win the thing. They owned the thing, which I never would have dreamed they would have been capable of. And, and it was just sheer dominance, which blows my mind. Yeah, and it's like the, the, the break they – Southern Miss was really, really good. The break they caught with Southern Miss is that Southern hadn't seen that type of pitching, particularly starting pitching, that consistently. And yeah. it became clear after a few innings against Delusia. It's like, oh, these guys aren't making any adjustments. They are not uh, – like, they're just not as used to it. That doesn't mean they couldn't hit them. That's not discounting Dylan Delusia. Hell, he was a few feet away from exiting that game, losing the game um, on that infamous uh, foul ball grand slam. But like the, but what was the most impressive is what is what they did to Hunter Waldrop and Tanner Hall, and the way they kept, even though it wasn't a great offensive day against Hall, the way they kept applying the pressure, like that's what we thought that offense would be, but wasn't for the entire year. That was the most impressive part because that was a great Southern Miss team that was built upon its starting pitching, and Ole Miss just kind of dismantled Waldrop, and then they missed some opportunities early against Hall, but kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, and it finally went through. I mean, that's what they did all through the postseason, whether it was. Palmquist for Miami, they didn't have a good day there. They had a terrible inning and then made up for it with one great swing with Elko, but they kept applying pressure. Um, even like uh, the, He's not a name-brand guy, but the Gonzalez kid for Auburn who had that really good sinker was really, really good that night in that first opening game, and they just kept at it and kept at it. And they, uh, I mean, they, they, you're right. I mean, it was a dominant run. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in, still in shock about how dominant it was. I mean, I think they outscored teams like 80 82 to 25 or something like that. I mean, they were a one-run loss away from running the table and the whole thing. It was it was as remarkable a turnaround as I've ever seen. Like, it's still like a week later hard to encapsulate just because of where they were. It's kind of mind-blowing. It really is. And, you know, a lot of people are pointing to – are trying to point to, you know, what was it? Was it a team meeting? Well, you know, probably not. Was it uh, – Mike Bianco discovering his starting pitchers. Well, that's probably a big portion, but it's an all-encompassing thing. But also, um, I kind of got to a point where I stopped thinking about it because who cares? They they did it. And for whatever reason, Mike Bianco in his two decades plus, but really especially in the last 10 or so years, have had here he has had multiple teams that have had the talent and the ability to win championships. And for whatever reason, they did not. But this one did. And I can't help but wonder if – I mean, we said it in 2014. The monkey off the back. Will, will this create a flood of new College World Series appearances? And it, it didn't quite do that. But I can't help but wonder if a formula was found, was discovered, or, or whatever here in this run. Because as everybody listening to this knows, it was his first road regional win. It was a second Super Regional win ever. Uh, things did go differently. This team really struggled during the season and yet peaked in June instead of in April. I can't, and all of you, I'm sure, can't help but wonder, is there a formula that was found? Not that they, like this was a magical run, that this was the product of something that was discovered at some point this season that can be replicated moving forward. I mean, I would like to think that answer is Yes. But I'm really eager to see if it was fate, it was magic, or it was by design or formulaic or whatever. 
how about a team just playing baseball? Um, what's it going to be like next year not covering a, an Ole Miss season to where we talk about, well, what happens if they don't make this or they need to be a national seed or they need to play games in their own ballpark? H- how about five years of Mike Bianco just having teams that roll the ball out and go play? I don't think his desire is any less. I think Mike knows where he stands. or I think Mike is aware of his legacy and where he stands um, amongst the games um, I would say all-time greats. I mean, look, he's not there yet. It'll take more than one national title, but he's one of the better coaches of the last 30 years in college yeah. baseball. I don't think that's debatable. And so I don't think his drive will be any different. And I just wonder if it, you know, formula, whatever you want to call it, what about it? <laughs> what about the fact that he doesn't have to worry about anything? You just go out there, you recruit well, and you put good teams on the field. And people don't want to hear this right now, and I'm sure the message word will sound differently, but if you if you blow a home super or something in the next two years, it's kind of like, uh, like okay, not great. Let's not make this a trend and let's not go, you know, 25 more years for another right. Omaha appearance. But it's not the end of the world. There won't be a name for like no. Black Monday for the super regional that they don't win at home in two years or whatever the case may be. So to your point, like I just wonder what it's like. Mike Bianco just out there I mean is he gonna like lower a button on his uniform maybe try some different shades like what is this version of him next where he can just go play ball because he's not getting fired and nor should he for a very very I don't think he'll ever be fired to be honest I think when yeah Keith, fired, Keith Carter basically said he's the coach for life I can't give him a <laughs> lifetime contract but he is if it goes south 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 in a decade or so they'll probably do the whole you should get to part ways, give him the fell where to whatever. We're all projecting on the road now, but you get the point. I don't think he will be unceremoniously fired ever, like ever. I just think we're past that point. So that's the part I'm curious about. What, what does that, like, what does that do for him? I, I, it may not change anything. It may just put in a rabid fan base at ease if anything else, but I am curious yeah. to see that. And eventually it's just the law of averages, right? Like him being one in six or one in five in supers and one in seven in games to get the home off was almost just kind of a statistical anomaly. Like that's hard to do. Yes. Some of it's on him, but like, I just wonder if the averages will play out better for him if nothing else. Well that, and then whenever the scholarship thing evens out. Um, yeah. That's another piece of it too. I mean, it, you know, there, there's a lot of talk in, in poor chase. I feel so bad for him because every year he's got to explain to people why Ole Miss is not the best job in America. Uh, because of scholarship limits and he's got to do that every year and I always feel bad for him it's like he wants to talk about pitching and lefties and righties and and who's going to play first base and instead it's 11.7 here's why South Carolina can give this many and LSU can give this many it's a disaster but when that goes away how many better jobs will exist than the one that Mike Bianco currently has and the one that exists in Oxford because look all the stuff that people like to point to that in baseball doesn't make that much of a difference because of the money discrepancy when the money's gone who will have a demonstratively better stadium than Ole Miss very small no I mean Mississippi State's is very very nice Uh, but it's negligible who will have nicer like locker room and weight room facilities and stuff maybe LSU or somebody maybe but it's negligible fan support doesn't get better it gets equal doesn't get better and then the, the last component, LSU is doing things that Ole Miss may not be willing to do in NIL, but there's like, four, there's like four programs in America that will actually have baseball players that can make money on NIL. Will it be a lot? Will it be football player money? No, but like can actually make money. Do you know how easy it will be to sell Ole Miss baseball when the scholarship thing evens out? 
It'll be a, a dream. Vanderbilt because they love the Whistler and no. the gold colors. They're going because they're getting full rides. Like you think yeah. they would prefer to play in front of that instead of that? I mean, you're exactly right. It's it's going to be fascinating to see the future of it, and that's where Ole Miss fans lucked out in that sense too, keeping this guy around as much as you out there listening may have begrudged him through the years, and in some cases, rightfully so is if they were on a new coach, there's no guarantee that guy's any good, and he certainly is not going to have the stability of it. And the flip side on that is if this turns out well and this goes in the direction we think it's going to go in, Mike's had Mike Clement there for a long time. Carl Lafferty's been there a number of years now. Dan McDonald was there a while back, and I know Dan McDonald's a little bit older than those other two guys, if I'm not mistaken. But the point being, when Mike walks away, the infrastructure will be there. Like, this is an extreme example, but the Urban Meyer, Ryan Day type things to where like maybe you can just hand the keys to this program you've built up to a hand-picked predecessor or someone the athletic department values who'd been on staff for a while, blah, blah, blah. Like I feel like people undervalue kind of like culture and championship culture and infrastructure and all those buzzwords that people like to use that actually matter. Having him around through this next age – whatever the back nine of Mike's career is, will set them up a lot better for when there is eventually another coach, more so than just firing Mike after 7-14 and 14 and taking a swing at Dan McDonald, Butch Thompson, and then kind of throwing your hands up after that if that didn't work and go, well, we'll try someone. Like, that's another huge advantage of all this. Yeah, it's, it's hard to fathom, too. I mean, I mean, part of it, uh, when I think about all this, it's like, well, I don't know when it's going to happen. And, and I've tried to figure out how to balance that well, you know, we're all football now, but during the season, it's, you know, how much of this should we talk about? Because who knows when it's coming, but I believe it's coming soon. I mean, they're having, maybe the meetings have been disrupted because of all the other stuff going on, but Greg Sankey and that competition committee or whatever the hell it's called are meeting apparently this week to to start making those changes and, and execute the, the plans and changing the NCAA, read taking their power away because they shouldn't have any. But, but that's apparently happening this week. So if it's like, hey, starting 2023 season, baseball can be on full scholarship, which also means softball will be on full scholarship as well, go for it. That, that changes your program overnight, and that decision could be happening like as, as early as this week, if I remember the reporting correctly. Who knows with these timelines? I mean, that's what we're about to get into is this crazy-ass realignment stuff. But, I mean, you're right. And, look, at I know people on the board had asked for a while, like, what at, where's the baseball NIL? Without disclosing too much, I would just say stay tuned. Like, it, that is on the horizon. Like, Ole Miss will be prepared. And that's another advantage of just the school in general being prepared and on top of it at NIL. We've talked about this before just discussing NIL and stuff. It's like they are very well prepared. And that's one of the things I've been surprised about with Ole Miss and it's credit to the Grove Collective people and everyone heading that up and the work they're doing when like they aren't going to be behind the eight ball when it pertains to NIL stuff or stuff to advance one of the major three you can even go beyond that major four or five whatever programs you want to throw in there they're not going to be caught off guard and be behind anymore because they put to keep using the word infrastructure in place they've got the Grove Collective up and running like the the pockets aren't going to be A&M Alabama I'm not going to pretend that it is but there's something organized in place. And I think in this crazy world we live in with NIL now, and this kind of opens it up to probably what we'll get to be talking about, being prepared and just having it there and ready to go, whatever you can offer, is a game changer because there's other programs in the state of Mississippi even 
that don't have that type of preparation in place. And now in 10 years, will everyone have it and it's evened out a little bit? Yeah, maybe. But Ole Miss is going to have a head start on a lot of other teams that it would normally be seen as equal or in some cases inferior to because they're just a hell of a lot more organized. And I think that it'll end up pertaining to baseball as well. Yeah, I've I've told people that around here. Uh, just you don't quite understand how good or how in how good of shape Ole Miss is compared to people that you would consider on their on their plane or on their tier, whatever you want to call it. Ole Miss is in really good shape compared to the people that are quote unquote on their level. They will never be A and M or Alabama or Georgia or whatever. But you mentioned organization. Um, Mississippi State's working on something. I guess they've got it up now. But the, the for for a while now, you've been able to say, "Hey, I want to help Ole Miss buy a left tackle. Where do I go? Here you go." Mississippi State fan, hey, I want to help Mississippi State buy a left tackle. Where do I go? I don't know. And I guess they have some – it's different. It's very, very different and ahead of what a lot of people would have probably guessed going into this thing. I still wonder how much should be allocated to baseball. Now, those, those people involved don't ask me. I don't think it would be as much as some people think it should be. I was actually quite impressed to see that they've got the entire basketball team uh, on a deal. I think that is – I was shocked when I saw that. And I even had a friend text me and said, why are they wasting their money? I said, no, you don't understand. They can now go recruit to that. And that's not something I thought that Ole Miss would be able to say. Every single one of our players has a deal with this collective. I, I never would have thought that you could say that about Ole Miss. I was impressed when I saw that. So uh, – I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. Point is, Ole Miss is in better shape than a lot of people probably think that they are. Yeah, I can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll just call them out by name, whether they want to or not. I mean, William Liston running the Grove Collective and those other guys in that. And I get there's other stuff out there. I'm not as familiar with that, but like they're doing. I guess as an Ole Miss fan, doing they're kind of doing God's work in a lot of ways. Like they, them getting prepared and and having that done has made a huge difference. And I, I can't underscore that enough. And I'm sure there's a lot more people that went into it and I'm probably leaving plenty of people out. But like, I, the point is, is just having that there is huge because we're a year removed from this being legal, right? I mean, my years living out here have gotten mixed up, right? This, this time last year was when Bo Nix announced the sweet tea deal, right? Like this happened a year ago. And so getting on the ball and getting it done versus kind of sticking your head in the sand and hoping this NIL thing goes away and doesn't become a game changer. I think it's going to, in the have nots of the SEC or the have nots of college football, the programs that got on top of it are going to have a leg up for some sort of period of time. I don't know what that looks like exactly or what that time window is than the ones that didn't. And for Ole Miss already not this be a year removed from NIL becoming legal because look, other that you heard the rumblings of other places having NIL collectives in place, right? Like, I mean, as soon as it became legal, you heard about Texas and some Miami yeah. stuff. I don't know what exactly was in place then, but outside of a couple outliers, Ole Miss has been on top of the ball, and them having something this well run and this organized and this kind of concrete at this point at the year mark. Does the, I mean I'll put I'll put it into a question. If and I don't mean to do this to give like Lane Kiffin all of the credit. But are they this prepared if Matt Luke is the coach coming off a six and a seven and five season that got them to the Liberty Bowl? Like, and they're trying to build off that and do the Mississippi. Are they that organized when it comes to NIL? If Lane Kiffin's, I, I can't imagine they are. I can't um, either. 
and, and we'll get into this, I'm sure. This is when people have talked about, you know, teams getting kicked out of the SEC, that conversation, and we'll get to that later. Um, Ole Miss should not be a candidate. They are a top 20 program in viewership, budget's good, uh, revenue's good. People nationally watch Ole Miss football more so than a lot of name programs in the sport. Ole Miss football makes a lot of money compared to a lot of name programs in the sport, revenue generating, all that stuff. But uh, some people will say, and, and I've heard it from some of our listeners, well, oh, that's just because Kiffin's there. Okay. What was Clemson before Dabo? What was Clemson football before Dabo Sweeney? Hell, what, what, what was Alabama doing before Nick Saban got there? Yes, yes, coaches prior had success at Alabama, but there was gaps of terrible at, at Alabama football. Gaps of terrible there. There's been gaps of terrible at LSU. Tennessee hasn't been good since I was six. I, I mean, so so when you – do the whole, well, Ole Miss is only interesting because of who their coach is. Well, then why are you interested in Tennessee? Or why have you been? Because they've been awful. Every program, to a degree, is dependent on who their coach is for their success. Some are built differently than others. Alabama, of course, is built differently than Ole Miss. But not having the right coach has led to them not being good. So, yes, Lane Kiffin's a huge factor in Ole Miss's national popularity and brand. But – even if it wasn't Lane Kiffin, other coaches have shown you that you can win at Ole Miss and it can be an attractive place to play football and a, and a place that grabs some degree of national attention. It's not just dependent on Kiffin. Now, you're right. If it, if it was a Matt Luke or somebody that wasn't winning games, would they be in this position right now? Probably not. But Lane Kiffin is there. And so what else matters, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. It is Well, you can boil it down to as simple as this. Who would want to give? Who, right. who, if you're talking about the average – I don't even talk about the average person. Even Maybe there's just – you know, these are all – this is where the there's no names to put with some of the faces. But with some of the stuff that I've heard that they're getting in monthly donations now or know to be true, how much – and I'm not even talking about your average fan. I'm not saying that part's not important. But even just the big ones, average fans, which everyone would put in there – who who is eager to get on the Grove Collective website three months after the piss and miss? Um, if Matt Luke is still the head coach, make hell yeah, I would like to like you know 150 bucks on fire and help out my rebels or whatever the case may be, whatever the selling point is. There would be people that would do it. I'm not suggesting that bank account would be zeroed out, but the 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 Kiffin factor and being nationally relevant, this has all really come together at a nice time for Ole Miss because just from the sheer fact of people. Look at the real estate value in Oxford when the football team's good. Look at the people in the stands and the season ticket sales versus when they suck. This is all really basic stuff. I'm yeah. just saying when it pertains to NIL, Ole Miss got I – mean, I, don't, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but Ole Miss was very fortunate this all came about when they were on the come up and they're becoming relevant. Because if yes. Eight, like it's who, – who's giving to that? I know the average fan, like, like my friends that don't have money yet, I may be giving them too much credit with the yet, but like your smaller-time guy that wants to get invested younger – I can guarantee you if, if, if Matt Luke if was still the head coach, most of them would be like, eh, I'm out. And now there's an avenue for them to kind of gradually phase into, you know, making an actual impact. Yeah, and, and I've seen – and I heard from some of those people today, Ole Miss fans that are like, oh, I just 
this conference realignment, I'm out. I, I, I don't recognize college football anymore. I'm done. This sucks. And I, I keep thinking, you? Why you? Cal fans today, the few that exist, should be pissed. I would be. I would be concerned about the future of my program. I would wonder if, I, if we're just in purgatory, and I'd be wondering if I'm wasting my time. But if you're an Ole Miss fan today and your thought is, this sucks, the new age of college football sucks, you're crazy. It could not be more fun for you right now. Because, one, Lane Kiffin is your coach. He's putting a winning product on the field. He runs an exciting offense. And he markets the hell out of your school. And it's really benefited you. Two, in December of 1932, a representative from your school was in the right room at the right time, and you are locked in, and buddy, you're not going anywhere. So all this realignment stuff doesn't apply to you at all. It does not apply to you at all. The only thing that's going to change is you might get like North Carolina on the schedule or Oklahoma State. Otherwise, nothing's changing for you in this regard. And because of the way your coach is approaching recruiting, can you recruit with Texas A&M? No. But you've got if they come together, a roster filled with dynamic athletes, if nothing else. Your tight end's never played at Ole Miss before. Holy hell, though, is he a great athlete. Your starting running back hadn't played at Ole Miss before. Maybe he doesn't mesh with the offense. But athleticism? Unbelievable. So you've got a talented football team that may or may not be good. We'll see. A coach that markets you better than anybody. Conference realignment means nothing for you. How could you not? as an Ole Miss fan, be sitting here thinking, damn, this is pretty good. Like, I'm excited for the season. This isn't bad. Cal fans, Oregon State fans, sure. But Ole Miss fans not being excited about your current standing in this upcoming football season, I think you're nuts if you're not just absolutely thrilled with it all. I agree, and that's a great transition into town of today's main course is – so I left Omaha. I had to work – um, at, you know, that's kind of generally how you keep the lights on over here. But then I had a, a buddy's bastard trip in Newport Beach, California from Thursday to Sunday. So I pretty much unplugged um, for about Thursday afternoon on. That was, of course, the day the news dropped about UCLA and USC. And so I was pretty out of the loop on everything for about three, four days. But I read a bunch about it on the plane, plane ride on Monday morning. Um, and then throughout the day today, kind of getting not, not only caught up, I kind of knew what generally was going on, but just kind of trying to wrap your head around the whole thing. This is the next, like, this story that surfaced on Thursday was kind of the next um, tidal wave ripple, whatever you want to call it, in this rapid restructuring of the landscape of college sports. And we could start a number of different places with this, but, like, the reason we're discussing this right now is because of USC and UCLA. What were your initial thoughts to the news? I'll offer a couple of quick ones off the top was one. I was like, whoa, big 10. Like I didn't necessarily see this coming, but I also didn't know what to see coming. And everyone who kind of like Ross Dellinger, those type of guys were sounded stunned that it would, the wheels were already in the motion to where they were and how fast it was going, but we're not stunned at the idea and at the story of it. Like they were not stunned that USC and UCLA had desires to leave the PAC 12 I think they were stunned that, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I can only assume I'm speaking for them at this point. Once they started calling people and went from, oh, they have this desire to, oh, it's done type of thing. That seemed to be what people were most shocked at. And so them not being shocked by it happening, I guess, by, by de facto just reading some of their stuff, I wasn't shocked either. 
this is just kind of where we're going. You've had two really – I mean, whatever you think of USC, UCLA, their name brands, they have a big base. Like, they have national alumni all over the country. One's really good in basketball. One's really good in football. Whatever. They're being drugged behind by their own conference. I think Texas and Oklahoma felt that with the Big 12. And so these brands that feel like they're better than what the conference is serving them for are now wanting to go follow the money and chase the best. And I can't say I blame them, but just curious, I threw a lot at you there. What was your reaction to the news? Yeah, especially when you read today about UCLA's financial situation and how joining the Big Ten basically erases all of their problems. Uh, no wonder they're going to do that. Um, I, I'm not surprised either. It's, I mean, how often have we talked about what the Pac-12 has become? It's hard. If you're a program like USC, a national brand, you just hired Lincoln Riley, you're recruiting like crazy. But nobody that you play really gives a damn. Like four and, programs do. Yeah, and I, I saw somebody say, well, well, USC fans should be upset because they lose – what's great about college football, in-state rivalries and traditional games and stuff. And, and, and my thought on USC specifically was their biggest rivals in Indiana. Their biggest rivals in Indiana. And, and if I'm a USC fan, am I really going to miss the game in Palo Alto where we play in front of 17,000 people? Am I really going to miss that game in Berkeley when that gets replaced with Ohio State? and Wisconsin, yeah, my fans maybe can't drive there anymore, but road fans don't really travel to games anyway. Uh, my schedule has become so much more attractive. If I'm a USC fan, I'm thrilled because, again, you got to fly to all these games now. You got to play games in East Lansing, Michigan in November. But the, the people that are talking about, oh, you, you eliminate traditional rivalries. Well, when is the last time random – person that works in sports media has watched a Cal game from start to finish. Cal Stanford. Like who, who, who's like, that's the, that the part of the, I'm glad you brought that part up the traditional rivalry part. I get that people, the college football is nostalgic for a lot of fans and a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, all the way down to, if you go to games, it's the school you went to and it brings you back. And most of these fans have done it for their entire lives um, to some degree or, close to it and so I get that college football is nostalgic and changing this thing that you've cherished for a while can be tough but the the traditional rivalries part I don't understand when is the last time you've been fired up to watch Miami and Florida State or Florida and Florida State or go, go down the list you UCLA USC that's a hell of a color match a uh, uniform matchup but outside of that yeah. I don't care um no and, and that's better ones but like the ones that are that I can think of Michigan, Ohio State, guess what? That's not changing. Alabama, Auburn, right. that's not changing. State Ole Miss, that's not changing. Do you know why? Because they're in composite conferences that are making all the money. And so I derailed you a little bit there, but the traditional rivalry stuff, it's like, what rivalries can you point me to? Uh, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Miami, that hasn't been a fun game in years. No. And the conferences and some of the programs and the interest and all of that combined is why. Like the reason they're leaving is also why some of the rivalries have been diminished, uh, not directly, but indirectly. Yes. I mean, USC and UCLA are, are chasing money, but they're also chasing, enhancing their product. I saw John U. Bacon. I made reference to this on the radio show for so for those of you that are potentially a crossover listener, I'm being repetitive, but 
John U. Bacon's written a lot of books. Uh, I think he's a Michigan guy, writes for the Detroit Free Press. He's written some college football books, and he said something like, fans uh, are not customers, they're believers, and, and don't test them, basically. And, and back to my thing about USC, if I'm a USC fan, if I'm a Texas fan, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I am thrilled with what you're selling me. It's not just the schools are chasing money. You've got to get your fans to want to spend their money with you. And if I'm a USC fan, if I'm a Texas fan, you're going to charge me $2,000 for seven home games, four of which are against Baylor and TCU and Kansas and Kansas State or Stanford and Arizona State and Oregon State and Washington State, where I can replace those with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, hell, Iowa, and LSU, Alabama, Hell, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, sign me up. So it's fair to ask at what point will we start taking what's good about college football away? I don't think we've reached that point yet because USC and UCLA moving to the Big 12, what have the casual college football fans lost by that move? What have we lost? I would argue nothing. I watch more college football than anybody I know, and I will miss nothing about Southern Cal and UCLA not being in the Pac-12 anymore. I will miss nothing other than Kansas beating Texas about Texas and Oklahoma not being in the Big 12 anymore. If anything, my viewing experience when those two moves happen will be better than it was previously. And all of the big games that I care about, like emotionally, are still going to happen. So again, it sucks for the Cal fan. It sucks for the Oregon State fan and the Washington State fan. All of those people are getting screwed. But the, the, the folks making the moves, their product is getting enhanced. And everybody else hasn't changed yet. So it's a fair question, but I don't think the answer is yes yet. If it is, I think it's just projecting as opposed to actually reacting to reality. And how much of the fact that the dirty little secret in all this is that UCLA doesn't really draw well on football unless they're really good. And USC doesn't either. Um, I thought about, I'll probably have Antonio Morales on eventually to talk about this. We talked about the end of the Clay Helton era back in the fall, um, right after they hired Lincoln Riley. But USC, I mean, the, I mean, Antonio, our guy went from Matt Luke crowd shots to, to Clay Helton at the end crowd shots. Those are not pretty pictures. Um, if you want to go back and look at his Twitter on some days, they don't draw well, but how much of the fact that this, and I, I say all of that to point out this, and I've, I looked this up like 10 minutes before we started recording. Here's UCLA's home crowds this year. You ready for this? 32,000, 50,000, 55,000, 36,000, 36,000, 68,000. Which game do you think the 68,000 was? USC. LSU. Oh, <laughs> Guess what the 55,000 was? The second biggest by far. Oregon at home. Don't, they got 68 for USC, but that game was played in the Coliseum. So it was a road game this year. Yeah. So how much of the fact that they aren't drawing and the fan interest is deteriorating? Because I know it wasn't this way at UCLA for forever. And I get it. Fans don't like to come as much when you're bad. And they come more when you're good, right? Breaking news. That's probably why people listen to this show. But if they're struggling to draw in a conference that's already fledgling, how are you getting people to sign up to come be like, I, they got Cal in mid-October. They've got uh, Oregon State, you know, early November. These are huge games. I don't think it's a coincidence that their attendance was the highest it was by, what is that, 18,000 to their second biggest attendance or 13,000? 
because USC was out there, or excuse me, LSU was out there the second game of the year back when we thought LSU was good. And their second highest was Oregon. They didn't break 40,000 people in a 100,000 seat venue. Excuse me, they got one. They had Fresno State, but I imagine that had to be with the fact that Fresno actually has a pretty good little small football fan base, right? Like, they've had a good program for a while. That's probably why they had to get to 50. But if you take out that game, they struggled to break 40,000 fans at any game. And so the fact that their conference is failing these two programs has to be part of why they're leaving. Why do you think, beyond it being Clemson and Florida State and they having good products on the field, Clemson has a good fan base. Florida State has a good fan base. North Carolina has a pretty good fan base despite their play being erratic. Why are those the names being thrown around to join the SEC, not Georgia Tech, um, really not even Miami to a degree? Um, why not? I saw Virginia in there. I didn't understand that. Maybe it's because it's a whole package. They care about college baseball, whatever. But, like, there's a reason. Like, they have they have fan bases that draw and they feel like they can expand their brand to whereas – what's the five-year plan to expand Washington state's brand or Oregon state right. or Cal? Like the, they're the, carrying less and less out there. The, it, they're carrying less. It's not the same sport. I mean, we may have talked about this before. Well, unless you're a gambler who's watching PAC 12 after dark, unless you're just on the couch having a nightcap and want to throw something on, it doesn't look the same as an sec game anymore. No, Maybe And the viewership reflects that. I don't like, remember that being the case 10, 15 years ago. Maybe no. just because I was younger, but it looks like a different sport. And so, those were sinking ships to a degree in this changing landscape and the two best programs or the two best schools decided that they didn't want to go down with the ship. I don't fault them for it. And I don't think that's ruining college football. No, look, we, we move cities to get better jobs, to live in better houses, but yet when Southern Cal does it, suddenly they're evil and, and not loyal. I, I don't understand that, but no, man, you're right. Uh, and like the Pac-12 after dark is a very popular thing on sports writer Twitter. You know, everybody talks about, oh, I love Pac-12 after dark. Well, if you love it, you're the only ones because if you look at the ratings, nobody watches it. And, and no matter how much we want to talk about, oh, we love, gosh, we just love this about college football and the Pac-12 disbanding is bad for college football. Well, if that's the case, why did nobody watch it? That's why this is happening. Nobody watched it. You can blame bad leadership in the Pac-12, and, and that, to some degree, is accurate. I mean, all they had to do was not resist playoff expansion. Even if Southern Cal left, they would still have a seat at the table. But, but they pushed back on the SEC because they were mad about Texas and Oklahoma, and now they're really screwed. But nobody watched. If it's so bad for college football that, that the Pac-12 was breaking up, why did nobody watch it? That's what I keep, I keep trying to say this to, and I guess nobody's really listening to me, but if this is so bad, why did nobody care? It's like, it's like these restaurants. There's a restaurant in my hometown that closed, and they cited lack of business. And everybody's, oh, it's so sad that that restaurant's closing. Well, then why didn't you go? Nobody went. There's a reason it's closing, because nobody went to the place. They didn't make any money. For whatever reason, they weren't good. I didn't like it personally, but you, you go on the comments of the news article, oh, this is so sad. How did this happen? Because none of you went. Same thing in college football. Ah, this is so sad. How is this happening? We're losing Pac-12 after dark because nobody watched. Why do you think they considered having 9 a.m. local time kickoffs? Because they were desperate to try to get somebody to watch them, and it still wouldn't have worked. 
And it's leadership too, right? Like it is. Larry Scott's legacy is just absolutely in the tank. And it's, it's basically the last decade and a half or so you've needed confidence from your conference commissioners and you just haven't, I mean, you start with the PAC 12 as the poster child, the, the, have you ever seen the Pac-12 network? I think we've had this challenge on the pod a few times. If any, like, if you show me someone who's like, yeah, I know how to get to Pac-12 network, I will show you a liar. I, I don't know how to get to. Do you know how to watch the Pac-12 network? I knew when I had direct TV one time, they screwed up, and they basically, it was like, back in the day when you could jailbreak the fire stick, you maybe still can do that. You just get everything or jailbreak your iPhone and get everything for free. One time with direct TV, we had that, and we got Pac-12 network in, like, the thousand channels. Um, for like a week but outside of that I have no idea how to get to it like, same thing with ACC network like going it's, what are you doing why are you not making this readily available and I, I that's conversations and I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than some asshole on a podcast critiquing it like I am but why is that not as simple as going to watch ESPN and going click SEC networks on SEC network plus is on so it's a leadership factor like Larry mm-hmm. Scott led this conference into the ground um, I forget the old ACC commissioner but he wasn't anything outstanding and they replaced him with Northwestern's AD like Bob Bowlesby, I don't know a ton about him, but the, the, the like, from well, he's Scott out too. To, to as much as people want to crap on uh, Sankey, he's he, he kind of saved college football that one year. Like the, you need dynamic leaders, and maybe it's the tallest midget, um, but like they the the two di- more dynamic leaders prevailed. I guess is my point. Like the, Larry Scott really ruined this league, starting yeah. with the TV rights deal, because that's where all this follow the trail. It's all about money who do you know on the Pac-12 network? Who, who's the Peter Burns of the Pac-12 network? I don't know. I don't even know where to watch it or, or how to watch it or, or why. Uh, somebody pointed out when uh, the the announcement came that USC and Oklahoma, USC and UCLA were leaving uh, the Big Ten network, which I get, I know that, uh, aired it live. They did like eight hours straight of coverage and you flip over to the Pac-12 network and it was a volleyball replay. And it just that goes to show you the the differences between the two. I I do think give a damn is a factor, though, that you can't really overcome. It could have been better. Again, all they had to do was just not resist playoff expansion. That's all they had to do was not because what would have happened if they would have voted in favor of the SEC, right? If they would have not uh, formed that little alliance of of very, very good friends uh, with no agreement in place. Uh, we just looked each other in the eye and promised we wouldn't do exactly what we were going to do. Um, if they didn't form that and they voted in favor of playoff expansion along with the SEC, even if USC and UCLA left, they're still an attractive option. You don't see this desire to mass exodize because there's still a path to the playoff, which, by the way, would have had a renegotiated television deal and you would have had a guaranteed spot in that every year, making you more money, but you voted against it, and now you are screwed. And now the Big Ten and the SEC hold all the cards, and they have no reason to sit down and share a table with you anymore. They get to dictate everything, and you just got to hope. You just have to hope that Colorado and Utah and Arizona and Arizona State and Oregon and Washington somehow want to stay, and they probably won't. It's a disaster. Leadership's a problem. But I do think give a damn is, is a huge factor here. I mean, the Big Ten is extremely comparable to the SEC in give a damn. Um, I've been to an Ohio State game. It's, it's insanity. Uh, I mean, it's an entire state that cares about the one football team in the center of the state. Michigan's the same way. Wisconsin's the same way. Penn State's the same way. The Big Ten are as close to top to bottom comparable as the SEC 
than any other conference. Obviously, it's why they're in their position. But it's easier for a Greg Sankey and a Kevin Warren to govern, quote unquote, during this time, because all of their programs and teams really care and want to win and aspire to win and have fan bases that really care and will do whatever it takes and will follow you into the dark or whatever. So it does help, but that doesn't absolve Larry Scott and Bob Bowlesby of the disaster that they led their conferences through over the last 10 years or whatever. Do you think any of it's timing? And maybe this is a chicken and the egg thing or vice versa, and I just haven't paid close enough attention to this, but I forgot the former ACC commissioner's name is John Swafford, and he'd been there since 1997. If I'm going to try to pretend to analyze John Swafford's career, you should probably just fast forward to this part. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know how good he was. But I think he announced in 2019 or 2020 that he was eventually going to step down. And then he finally actually did step down, I believe, in early 2021, somewhere around there. You had Bob Bowlesby, who kind of missed the boat on things. But you also had Kevin Warren, who's now the, who's now the commissioner of the Big Ten. But before that, you had – Oh, shoot, what was that? Jim Delaney, who was there for a long time, and he announced in 2019. So I'm just wondering, as all this NIL stuff and the conference realignment came about, the fact that you had new commissioners in that 2021 range, um, I wonder if that made any difference. Maybe I'm just grasping at something that's not there. But, you know, you got to remember that Kevin Warren was the guy that wanted to not have a football season in 2020. And, you know, he seemingly overcome that mistake strictly from how strong – the brand of his conferences and how much as you're talking about give a damn level is big 10 people wanted to play football where Pac-12 people are like, hell yeah, we don't necessarily want to play. And I don't mean to make it like a political thing with regard to COVID, but I just wonder if that plays into it. I'm not necessarily saying Kevin Warren is a good commissioner, but sounds like he had some pretty sound infrastructure in place because Delaney was there for forever, widely revered. And it was one of those things like, don't screw this up to where I just wonder if, you know, Swafford, into James Phillips had the same thing. Phillips is a Northwestern guy. That's Big Ten, but kind of the outlier. I just wonder if there's something to that. Whereas Larry Scott, I don't know if that guy ever had a clue. Um, but I just wonder if there's something to having turnover and not having strong leadership in the conference before that and a strong transition plan. Because like Slav Desanke, from what I remember, seemed pretty smooth. And I just wonder if there's something to that at all. There's got to be. There, there absolutely has to be. And now uh, you mentioned the ACC, for example. Um, I mean, they're stuck. They, they are stuck in a horrible, horrible television deal that I, you know, with some lawyering and maybe a lot of money that they'll be able to get themselves out of the individual teams anyway. But, but how on earth uh, you agreed to sign for 15 years, or was it 16 years? Because it's two years old, right? Either way. They've got 14 years left on the deal where you're going to get paid by the end of this thing, Clemson's going to get a third from the conference that Vanderbilt will get from the SEC, that Mississippi State, Ole Miss will get from the SEC. This is Clemson. National championship winning Clemson will get about a third if the projections are accurate. Um, it's mind-blowing that they locked themselves into something like that for such a long period of time, and that, that stands – to, to show you what kind of leadership that they have. And it's part of that timing too, because I don't understand. So I'm not the greatest TV bubble expert of all time, but you could tell that this thing was something like the housing market before 08 in the sense that like, this was just going to keep getting better and bigger and better and bigger and more money was going to be made. Towards remember the SEC had that deal with CBS um, for a really long time. 
Um, and it was like considered the biggest deal in all of sports. And then it came up in what, like 2019, 2020, right? As all this is happening and boom, they yeah. got like quadruple eight, nine times, whatever the hell the number is. I don't feel like looking it up. And they're going to get of, more when Texas and Oklahoma join. Yeah, I wonder if that's like some of this is like fortuitous timing. Like with, with the SEC, I think the SEC is the, being the best conference in America and that being the biggest TV still probably speaks for itself. But I just wonder if like whoever signed that deal, and I'll, I'll have to go back and look up when it was, would catch more flack if the SEC, say, was locked in through it through like 2026 as the Pac-10 is – or excuse me, the Big Ten is getting a bigger deal. Like some of it's timing, but it seems like a mixture of timing and confidence – uh, competence and the Pac-12 had neither and the ACC maybe aired a little bit more towards timing but certainly didn't have dynamic leadership which like we could talk about the reasons all day where does this go in your opinion like wh what happens I have no idea we're only in the first phase of this but just like where do, what do you think happens that's a good question and that's the one that everybody wants to know I, I don't think that there's going to be a rush now I, I could be dead wrong on that I've been wrong before hello old Miss Baseball I'll be wrong again but uh, Somebody asked me yesterday, like, well, what's the SEC's counterpunch going to be? What's their next move? I said, probably nothing, at least for now. Because why do they? Why does the SEC need to fire back at the Big Ten? All the Big Ten did was bring two teams into their league, one of which extremely valuable, that now evened their number of members. And I would argue, and some people would disagree, that the SEC still even with the addition of USC to the Big Ten, is the nation's premier football conference, which is what matters. So why rush? What, what's the benefit of rushing to respond to what the Big Ten just did? Because what I'm trying to figure out, and I've thought about this all day, is how many teams are out there that truly add real monetary value to the SEC's television deal, which drives everything. Because people are talking, well, well, they should just add Clemson. And I, I listened to Neil and Chase today, and I think Neil's spawn on. Does the SEC really need Clemson? Do they really, really need Clemson? Now, Clemson's a pretty good draw nationally. They, they have a, people that watch their games, mostly the ones they play against SEC teams or in the playoff. Generally, the regular season, not that highly watched because their regular season is garbage. You've already got a team in South Carolina Georgia, Athens is, what, an hour and a half or so from Clemson? Very close. You've got Tennessee close by. Nashville's close by. Clemson is just kind of in the middle of this grouping of SEC teams. What do they bring you? You already dominate that region. Yeah, they'll bring you a pretty good football team. Sure, they will. But when, when Clemson were to join the SEC, would they bring you enough money like, would they make you richer? And maybe that answer is yes, but I don't know if it's yes. And maybe the answer for Clemson or North Carolina is yes, but then after those two, who? Does Oklahoma State bring real monetary value to the SEC? Do they? They might, but that's a question they've got to ask because I keep seeing people do this. Here's the eight teams that the SEC should add, and it's like West Virginia – and both Virginia schools and three schools from North Carolina and Miami and Florida State and Oklahoma State and Arizona State. It's like, wait, wait, what the hell? Why? What do they get from this? The only reason why expansion is happening is money. It's not football. It's money. And once they hit a wall on increase in revenue, they're going to stop adding teams. They're not going to replace teams, 
like some people uh, across this was the dumbest day in sports talk radio by the way my god it was the dumbest day this is the dumbest stuff because because there's no one that's worse at business stuff than i mean maybe you could throw commissioners and sports talk hosts just throwing a broad generalization or just journalists in general uh in terms of like how big business works and like yeah. i'm not necessarily saying i'm an exception to that at all i just it's, it's kind of funny to look at our collective industry bad takes flying well it because teams are not getting kicked out my gosh i, I mean I, I listen to, to radio shows and podcasts all over the, all of the country, specifically the Southeast, and, and like Baton Rouge. Well, the SEC should kick out Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri, and Vanderbilt because they don't add anything. Well, first of all, that's not true. Second of all, it's basically impossible for them to do, nor would they ever do it. But it's called expansion. Why are you booting? Right. It, it, there's no reason to. And then take Ole Miss, for example. If these guys in Baton Rouge, uh, they were talking about it in Nashville today, at upstate South Carolina, they were talking about it today. If you really think kicking out Ole Miss would benefit the SEC, like I said earlier, Ole Miss is a top 20 team in, in television ratings. Uh, they do very well in revenue, budgets high, people watch them, people care. They recruit well. What team out there, if you kicked Ole Miss out, would step in and give you more than Ole Miss. That is not in the Big Ten because no team from the Big Ten is leaving. So who out there right now could you replace Ole Miss with that would give you more than what Ole Miss currently gives you? That would give you more. Is it Clemson in North Carolina? But would would they? That's the thing. So to go through all the trouble, which, again, it's damn near impossible to kick a team out of a conference, especially a charter founding member. Again, it's never going to happen. But playing these idiots game for a little while, kick them out because they have no value. Okay, tell me who has more. Because it's not Virginia Tech. It's not NC State. It's not Duke. It's not Oklahoma State. It's not West Virginia. Hell, I would argue it's not Florida State. So, So who is it? If you're going to kick these teams out, who do you add that gives you more? Well, and like, what does it matter? Like, why does it have to be like an either or? Like, I, I'm just. It's so stupid. It, it, it's never going to happen. I, I can't believe people spent time on it today. It, it just, it shows you how little people that have bigger platforms than mine actually know about how this works. They don't know anything about how this works. I can't say for a hundred percent certain. I don't guess, but the fact that like I don't think booting old, the Mississippi schools has ever crossed Greg Sankey's mind. Do I think there's a time where he looks at the football stadium of Vanderbilt and sees it full and sees the capacity of it or the crowd of it on a Saturday night in October in the SEC? As Vanderbilt is pretty thrilled to you know get 15 first downs. Um, yeah, probably. But like the I think the the Vanderbilts and the Rutgers and to a certain degree the Northwesterns of the world has probably spurned this conversation a hell of a lot further than it ever needs to go but like it's called expansion for a reason like they're wanting to get more more value in there like why, why like Ole Miss is not Ole Miss is not depreciating the SEC's value I, I don't oh. even know how to forecast at Vanderbilt probably is overall I, I don't know how to forecast such things I, I'm not that smart but like I don't understand like why it would need to be like we'll kick these guys out well, then all of a sudden, like, if you kick the Mississippi schools out, and we're probably giving this too much credence than it deserves already, but, like, 
then you just don't have a pretty large southern state. Like, what, what, what would that serve? I don't understand. Hey, it serves no purpose. None. Other than just like old farts like Pat Forty and stuff who are on their seven different media outlet because, you know, a lack of a fundamental understanding of business of their bosses. Like, I just don't understand how that's ever been brought up, like why it's ever brought up. It doesn't seem to make any sense. Now, on paper, would it make sense to boot Vanderbilt and boot Northwestern and I mean, you can't even really say Stanford in the Pac-12. It's kind of irrelevant now. Or like boot Rutgers. Yeah, probably. But I don't know. Every company has some asshole that doesn't work. But they still stays on because the, the company's doing well and they're growing in value. Like, hey, I don't really want to replace the human resources guy. Like, gay sucks. Doesn't get anything done on time. He has an attitude. He leaves stinky food in the fridge. But like, we don't, we don't really need to go through the hiring process right now. Like, at its core, that's kind of how I view it with the Vanderbilt piece of it. Any conversation beyond that just seems kind of ridiculous to me. It doesn't make any sense. You, it, you're not, it's not affecting your bottom line. Like you're going to make more money. Would they make more money booting Vanderbilt? I would just go extreme Vanderbilt for Clemson. And if so, I'd just like to see how that works. Yeah. It, it, that's my question it, it, is if they were to go down the road of doing that, I, I can't, I, I'm with you. I, I can't believe I'm, I'm giving this much time to, to people who just are, are really so stupid. So I, a lot of people listening to this probably think I'm an idiot, and that's okay. But my business is filled with stupid people. Seriously, just they—they they do nobody. I have learned this over the years, with the exception of Birmingham. Uh, there's some smart radio in Birmingham, and Greg McElroy, but there's some smart radio in Birmingham. Uh, Nashville does okay sometimes. It's mostly a pro sports market. There's a lot of very stupid sports radio in the SEC footprint. People that just don't have no basic understanding of how it works. So I love that question, and nobody would ever give an adequate answer. How much more money is Clemson worth than Vanderbilt? How much more money? So if they were to go down the road of getting 11 members of the SEC to kick Vanderbilt and Nashville out of the SEC and replace them with Clemson, what would that headache and lawsuits and otherwise be worth financially? And that answer is not a whole lot. And that's why it's not going to happen. So I asked the question earlier, where does this go? So everyone keeps talking about the two team super league and I get that to a degree, but I can't make the math add up. Like, excuse me for being ignorant, but, if just say, and I don't know if this is going to happen or won't happen, but just even say if the SEC added Clemson, we'll just go all-encompassing. Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech, whoever else you want to add in there. Say they had four more teams. And then the, the Big Ten adds Oregon, Washington, and I don't know who else they would add. Like I, I guess that would put them at four as well, expansion, Roz. And I guess the SEC would have two more. The numbers don't really matter. My point being is if you take the logical candidates to be added into these two super conferences, there's still so much meat left on that bone. I don't understand the two super conference argument because whatever you think of Iowa State, they have a really rabid fan base and they add some value. How much value that is, I, I don't really know. Are you going to tell me that every single school in Texas, a la Texas, uh, Texas Tech, TCU, um, Houston, none of those schools in that football crazy state have any sort of value outside of Texas and Texas A&M? Um, I've covered high school games out here at this point. I, I just tend to disagree. I don't know much about the alumni bases of each. 
Um, my girlfriend lives next to TCU's campus. I get it. It's more of like a family feel and it's in a neighborhood, but they still draw a decent amount of people to those games and people care. Um, I mean, go across the board. I would have a harder time finding them in the ACC, but you get my point. All of these teams, Oklahoma State, all of these programs and schools left in the middle, Colorado when they're good, uh, Utah, like there's nine, ten schools. What do you do with them? Are they just left out to dry? I just don't believe that to be the case. And so while everyone keeps saying this is going to be a two-team Super League thing, I just now view it as a ACC versus Big 12. I think the Pac-12 is toast. I, I just yeah. do. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just kind of view it as an ACC, Big 12. I don't even know if you, like, are they going to fight each other out at the table? Are they going to merge? Like, I view – how did those two school, those two leagues find a way to survive? Do they fight over the Pac-12? Do they all three form together? I just think there's too much meat left on the bone in terms of value that you could add a third conference. Like, it just isn't – the two-team Super League thing doesn't make a ton of sense to me because of all that's still left out there. Yeah, um, that was my initial thought. I just don't uh, when, get it. When USC and, and UCLA were, were moving – or when it got announced that they were moving, I thought, well, it's it, now we're going to have an NFC and an AFC, and it's going to be like that. But Washington's point, the other one, by the way. Like Washington, Washington adds value. Sorry, go ahead. But it, it, you will get to a point where you're just adding teams to add them. And, and I don't think that the SEC and the Big Ten need to do that, and I don't think they want to do that. You will get to a point where – your television deal will be worth a certain amount and, and you can keep adding teams and that amount won't grow. You're going to get to that point. So you're not going to have the SEC get 24 and the Big Ten get 24 and they just merge and go because how much money is that 24 worth to the individual schools? And is it more than today? Is it more than if you have 18? Is it more than if you have 20? Maybe the answer is yes. I don't think it's yes. The Big 12 today, I found fascinating. If they're able to pull off adding Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, if they just add those four, I think they'll survive. I, honestly, I was pretty impressed to see that report that they were being uh, proactive in that, willing to, to go poach somebody. I mean, they got poached. Their biggest brands got poached. And our, uh, Utah and Colorado and Arizona and Arizona State are a placement for Texas and Oklahoma. No. Um, but if they pull that off, it's, I think it's a viable conference, a valuable conference. Is it the SECs, the big 10? No, but I think even if they just do that, it gives them enough to have some kind of seat at the table. Maybe not the adults table where the turkey's being carved, but at the kid's table with like plastic forts and plates, but you're still at the dinner. You're just you know, kind of one step behind everybody else. But at least you can survive in that case. I saw the reporting earlier that the Pac-12 was looking to have a loose uh, alliance or whatever with another conference. And if I'm the Big 12 and they call me, I, I laugh after I hang up the phone. No, no, I'm just going to take the alliances. <laughs> yeah, like I'm just going to take the teams from your league that I want and we're going to get a TV deal and, and, and we'll be good to go. And sorry, Oregon State, it sucks to be you. Join the Mountain West. But I don't think it'll be just two Super Leagues anymore because I think the value is going to stop growing at some point. But those two leagues are going to have a say in everything. They're going to – if they're doing it right, they're going to dictate everything. They're going to dictate the playoff. They're going to dictate how many teams get in the playoff. 
They're going to start setting their own rules. It's not a coincidence that Greg Sankey is on the competition committee that is deciding how the NCAA is going to operate moving forward. That's not a coincidence. Those two leagues are going to be the tone setters, but they're not going to be the only ones left in major college football, I don't believe. And a quick, well, first of all, the Pac-12, I mean, I guess at this point, nothing would surprise me as Larry Scott if they're like, hey, how about we form another alliance? He's like, boom, let's not get that in writing. I think that the, one of the, the silliest things of the last, I don't know how many years in this weird world of college sports was the alliance. People love to make fun of it on Twitter and stuff like that. And I get it. It sounds stupid. It's It, it sounds like some sort of action figure crap. But like <laughs> Ross Dellinger had a really poignant, like, start to one of his stories that he wrote over the last week and it didn't really even have necessarily much relevance um to the rest of what he was trying to say or what he was trying to report but he started one of his stories with the when Oregon beat Ohio State uh in the horseshoe or in Columbus earlier this year and it was right after the alliance had just kind of started after this realignment and it was Larry Scott and um and uh, Kevin Warren just kind of hobnobbing it through the stadium, you know, like arm in arm type deal. Like I'm sure they were pretty chummy and they have this Alliance that's not legally bonding. It doesn't actually mean anything other than screw the sec. Let's uh, like, you know, like let's, let's not let them ruin this thing for us. And shockingly getting nothing in writing and just having this, I guess this spit shape type of deal didn't work out because when push came to shove, I'm not even sure Kevin Warren is that competent. I just think he probably has more competent people around him in a conference that's more successful that said, hey, man, like your pal that you formed the alliance with, that you hang out with, um, yeah, it's time to put a dagger in his back because we're trying to make money here. Like, I, like, I don't even – Kevin Warren was the guy that did the whole COVID thing and almost killed college football in 2020 and was part of the alliance. So I'm not completely – I'm not ready to label him the smartest guy in the room. I think someone probably from the Big Ten, because it's the only other conference that seems to care, got in his ear and was like, hey, your buddy, time to push him over the edge because this is real business. Yeah. And so, like, I guess I don't even have a point. I'm just saying RIP to the alliance. One of I can't believe people in that type of job – they get paid that amount of money. We're just like, let's have a verbal agreement to work together. Uh, do, do they know what industry this is? This is college sports. Like what, 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 what the hell? That's the perfect like 10,000 foot view of why the have nots are where they are today. And the, why the haves are where they had. And it just seemed like the biggest idiot in the room of the Alliance was like, eh, screw these guys. I'm smarter than them. And now here's where's the big 10 is today. It's, it's bizarre. And, and now they're just in absolute horrible shape. What, what I, I'm wondering too now is because the college football playoff is over in three years, right? 2025 is the last. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's the last year's 25. It's done in 26. So now what? Now what? Because as it currently stands, college football does not have a postseason decided after that year. And it's not the NCAA's call. That's what makes there's already precedent for there to be a breakaway. I think a breakaway is coming one way or the other. But who's going to make that decision now? Who's going to decide that? Because I I don't think Greg Sankey is uh, a particularly interesting person when you hear him talk. In fact, he's quite boring. But when it comes to this playoff thing, he has said a lot. He seems pissed and completely unwilling to put himself out there again. I mean, he's even used the phrase, well, I'm, I'm not going to be so lenient next time. 
I don't need more than four. My league's going to get one or two teams in every single year. We're going to keep winning them. I don't need to expand anymore. We're done. And so who takes the lead? Who listens to it? Who gets in? Who's involved? That's something that's years away. And with NIL and all this stuff going on, people aren't really talking about that. But that'll be the catalyst for breakaway. College football's postseason is already broken away. But that'll be the, the difference between our current system and whatever new system evolves, is what comes from the playoff negotiations or whatever you want to call them. That will be the catalyst for what college football will look like moving forward. We've got to wait a few years to, to know for sure what that'll look like. But that's where change is coming because there's no way, absolutely no way, that Greg Sankey is going to sit down and play nice with whatever the hell is left of the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the ACC, and he will only have to play nice with the Big 10 because they're somewhat comparable. Otherwise, he can get whatever the hell he wants, even if it means he hosts his own playoff, because guess what? That's going to make a lot of money too if nobody can figure the rest out. That's such an interesting thing that's not being talked about right now because it's years away. But that's where the big changes are coming. It's playoff conversation, not conference realignment or NIL. I think it's a playoff. I wonder if that there's a reason why it hasn't, you know, the I can't for the life of me figure out like on the surface, just without reading anything, why they haven't expanded yet. It's like you guys want to make less money. I don't understand. Like the they the, wanted to spite the SEC and it backfired big time. That's well, why just, they didn't expand. I just, yeah, no, that's definitely true. But just the fact that like it hasn't gotten done or seemingly hasn't been talked about, I just wonder if the unstable landscape of college football has driven that to some degree. Like, I don't think they're going to go back to the days where polls decide this sucker. I saw Pat Forty might uh, uh, kind of threw that out there. It's like, well, you have the Big Ten champion and the SEC champion, and then maybe they don't even play a game. It's like, yeah, you're right. They would probably like to not make money playing an extra game than. Uh, and would rather just have it argued out over a national title. Don't see that happening. But, like, it is fascinating the position the SEC's in because they don't have to do anything. Like, the, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. As the Big Ten keeps expanding, I think the Big Ten expanding was probably – well, not probably. It was absolutely in response to the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas. Well, like, who NBA trade machine for a second. Would you rather have USC – geographically, doesn't matter. USC and UCLA or Oklahoma and Texas? Oklahoma and Texas. Yes, of course. It's not even close. So yeah. like, does, does the Big Ten try to continue to expand to try to, like, get go, like, the strength of numbers play? Uh, like, just like, hey, can we get to 20 teams and now we're as viable a league? Like, does, does, does Sankey let them do that? Um, like, and just let it play out? Because he doesn't actually have to like, – to Neil's point, as you brought up earlier, he doesn't have to have Clemson and Florida State. Now, if it comes down to Clemson and Florida State maybe joining the Big Ten or something – then yeah, okay, maybe you go after them. But if there is this third league, do you think Sankey's just like, hey, I'm good? Like, we'll keep an eye out, but we're going to be selective and make a deal that makes sense and not just, as you mentioned earlier, add to add. Because every like the, the, the thing the SEC has going for them is everyone outside of Vanderbilt gives a shit. Everyone. Everyone is competitive. It's why they have the best coaches. It's why they all make the most money. It's why they have the best players. Literally – Everyone cares. To whereas in the Big Ten, yes, you have more tradition. Not more tradition. You have a lot of tradition. Ohio State, Wisconsin, uh, you know, Michigan, Michigan State. But you also have Illinois, and you have Northwestern, and you have Rutgers, and you have 
whatever you want to make a Purdue and Purdue's probably not the greatest example, but you kind of get the point. You have Indiana who didn't really care about football until the guy before what's his face got there that kind of very sketchily just kind of moved his way out. I forget his name now uh, before Tom Allen got there. You have four or five of those. Um, Minnesota has a lot of support, but has had some like lean years. And look, that's probably no different than Ole Miss and state. But the point being is, Sankey doesn't need anyone else. They, nope. they haven't taken anyone. Like, they're, they're, like, the Big Ten right now is taking on a, a, pro, a program that they understand doesn't draw in football unless they're really good, and that's UCLA. And to a lighter degree, it's USC. And would you take them? Like, out of the current available options, would you take them? Of course. But did, did the SEC grab the two best? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like, if, is there actually an aggressive expansion plan toward two Super Leagues? Or can Sankey and the SEC just be like, um, well, I have Alabama, I have Auburn, I have LSU, I have the two Mississippi schools, I have Georgia, I have Florida. Um, y'all can add whatever the hell you want. We're probably just going to grind it out here and draw the most attendance, uh, get the most attention, and have the best TV deal because we have the best product. There's no yeah. dead weight. None. Uh, and one. Dennis – the, notwithstanding, clearly. This just came across, uh, according to Dennis Dodd, so, you know, uh, he said CBS could, uh, Sports has confirmed that the ACC and Pac-12 have discussed a, quote, loose partnership that could include a, quote, championship game in Las Vegas as a way to get ESPN to pay more. Oh, my God. I, I mean – A loose it, partnership is just that – that's the that's, – I don't get but, it across but my – What board. championship what are you going to play in Ve- – are you going you gonna to have your own little championship? That Yeah, people will definitely take that seriously. And ESPN's definitely going to pay more for that instead of whatever the SEC and Big Ten concocts. It's just mind-numbing that this is where they want to go with this thing. What does that mean? What is loose – Loose partnership mean like what, what nothing. It's that who's signing that. What does that mean? Like, they're trying to bluff, I guess. I mean, th- this is exactly what I was talking about though with playoff stuff. That, that nobody's talking about playoffs. This is what is going on. They're trying to strong arm the SEC, I guess, the Big Ten, ESPN. According to this report, anyway, they're trying to get ESPN to pay more so these two conferences can have a championship game. It's it's total nonsense, but this is what people do, and this is what they think about, and this is what they discuss when they have no other better ideas. They, they, they're, they're stuck. They could have done this the right way and expanded to 12, and they would have gotten a guaranteed foot in the door, and nobody would be panicking. But now they've got no foot in the door. They're getting left in the dust, so they're trying to manufacture this bizarre championship game that nobody's going to care about, that ESPN's not going to buy, and everybody's going to make fun of. It's, this is bizarre that they're doing this, but this is, this is what they've got, which is nothing. This is nothing. It's a stupid idea that nobody's going to care about. The Pac-12 ACC championship game as opposed to playing in the playoff? I guess, I mean, the Pac-12 can't make it there anyway, so... And, like, the, we could attack this from a number of different angles, but, like, that's – they're the two leagues that don't have much going for them. Like, at least the Big 12 have schools that, like, care. I mean, look, Kansas – not having Kansas care about football really kind of hurts, but at least they're, like, a top basketball asset. But, like, you know, TCU, to whatever degree they can, they actually care about football. So does Texas Tech and Baylor. I mean, how Baylor just beat Ole Miss in a Sugar Bowl. That was another – program I left out earlier when talking about the leftovers. Oklahoma State absolutely cares about football. Um, go down the list. They're adding – who are they adding? They're adding Cincinnati. 
Is it Memphis? Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU. BYU, excuse me, not Memphis. Those schools, for whatever they are, care. And maybe they're just all good right now, and that's why this happened. But, like, West Virginia also cares about football to some degree. I don't know what kind of money draw they are. But I say, like, I guess my point in all of that is, do you look at Virginia football and think, mm, that's a fan base that cares? I mean, you know the ACC better than I do. Georgia Tech, like, does that – oh, they really care. Nope. Um, nope. Boston College, like, you forget nope. they're in the ACC sometimes. Like the Syracuse, no. Yeah, so like the 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 loose alliance, I would just be trying to get like they're. It seems like they're cozying up with the wrong partner. Why would you not call? And maybe the part of this is the fact that the Big Twelve has a new commissioner now. But why would you not be trying to if you're trying to save a conference that's driven by football? Why would you not cozy up to the ones that has the schools in Texas? That seems to make a lot more sense. It does. I I, I can't I can't wrap my mind around this. I, I what is the end goal here? I have no clue. And so the that, the other piece of it, too, the Pac-12 just kept staying on that. Excuse me, the Big 12. I'm going all over the place here. They just hired a new commissioner. And will that make things tougher for them? You know, everyone was kind of making fun of it. So he's the COO of Rock Nation. And he's basically spent his entire career. What's his name? Brett Yormick. Uh, Yormack. He spent his entire career, basically, it seems like, in the entertainment industry. Uh, look, I don't know anything about the guy. You can dump on it saying he came from Rock Nation. But, like, this is the entertainment business, and this is a money-making business. I actually wouldn't feel terrible about having a guy whose entire job is to put entertainment in front of people um, running my league. I don't know anything about him. That's just a guess. But that's another wrinkle in all of this is the fact that the Big 12 is now going to introduce a new commissioner on August 1st of this year. Well, congrats on the new job, buddy. You've got a <laughs> Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Oh man, um, th- this uh, this changes nothing, I suppose. I-, I I can't help but wonder if this is the ACC worried about getting poached. Because as as they currently the sit, why not go with the Big Twelve? Well, because the Big Twelve is soon to be poaching from the Pac twelve. I guess I-, I I can't help but wonder though if if this tells me that the ACC does not believe they'll be able to convince Notre Dame to join them because Notre Dame doesn't have to. I've I- I've seen some people or heard some people on again very bad Southern sports talk radio talk about how Notre Dame is obligated to the ACC. They are not. That is just not true. That they-, they are not obligated to the ACC. They can leave anytime. There's no obligation. Um, so this tells me possibly that they don't believe they're going to be able to convince Notre Dame to join them, and they anticipate teams leaving. Because there's no reason a conference with Clemson, Miami, Florida State, hell, throw Virginia Tech in there, I guess. Um, there's no way a league, North Carolina, NC State, should do a loose partnership to host a championship game against the Pac-12 unless they are afraid of losing members. Or they're bluffing, and this is the most embarrassing bluff in the history of bluffs. One of the two. Yeah. And, like, that, we probably we made it an hour and 15 minutes without bringing up Notre Dame, which is probably a fault on my part. There's this gigantic national brand that is independent. And as much as people like to dump on Notre Dame, they are a definitely a national brand. They have their own TV deal with CBS – or, excuse me, NBC Sports – they're an extremely valuable commodity. And, you know, if the SEC is in the best position, is Notre Dame in the second best? People keep – I keep seeing these, like, think pieces about how, like, all right, this is going to force Notre Dame's hand. It's like, well, why? They've stayed out of this for 
you know, like almost a century at this point. Like, it seems to me they can be selective. I can guarantee you in a game of musical chairs, Notre Dame is not getting swept toward the BYUs of the world. They will find a home. To yeah. me, for just on surface level, it seems like they can be a little bit more selective with it. That's a fascinating piece of this because if the Big Ten gets them, it's just the rich getting richer and kind of continuing this trend. I guess that's the only viable option. Like Notre Dame is not joining the ACC at this point. They're definitely not joining the Pac-12. They're not joining the Big 12. Maybe they remain independent. And so, like, will it work to the other conferences' benefit if they don't go to the Big Ten? I guess I mean I never say never. I don't. I can't see them in the SEC. But how? I what? What the hell do I know? Like, I think anything would. Nothing would shock me at this point. I'm fascinated to see the Notre Dame dynamic. How do you think that goes? Yeah. So the NBC contract with Notre Dame pays them, I believe, 15 million a year. Uh, so I, I don't believe that Notre Dame can remain independent forever. It's just uh, leaving 75 plus million dollars annually on the table, even for a place like Notre Dame, seems something that you can't stomach. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they value their independence so much that they're willing to leave that on the table. But a billion dollars in 12 years is not something that you can leave on the table, I don't believe. I think that's crazy to think about. Uh, but they are in the catbird seat. I mean, look. I just bashed sports talk radio in the Southeast. Well, well, here's a very bad take. I think the SEC should consider trying to lure Notre Dame. I think they should I don't try. See the downside, if if it makes sense and like if it fits logistically, why not? I see the it's, cultural fits thing. Yeah, I'm it's not a cultural fit. Like, it's not a Southern state. It snows. I, I I I get all those things, but what the addition of Notre Dame would do. Uh, would one, most importantly, increase revenue. It would bring you more money. But it would also, as a consumer of the sport, as a season ticket holder, tell me, even though it's not a cultural fit and they're not in the Southeast, when Notre Dame came to Oxford, you wouldn't be jacked the hell up for that game. Because I know I would be. I, I mean, Notre Dame coming to Oxford every four years would be a spectacle. It would be a huge thing. And in a time where it's harder to get people into the stadiums and all that stuff, it's a gold mine. Notre Dame would be a gold mine because every time they came to town, it would be massive. And I don't know if it would wear off anytime soon. Like Chase made a good point on their show today that Texas in 2012 and Oxford was it's hard to describe what that felt like, how big that felt. Eventually, that's I've never seen that town. Eventually, that's going to lose some of its luster. It's always going to feel big, but it won't feel that big forever. It's going to start wearing down a little bit because you get used to it. Alabama coming to Oxford is always a big deal. But if it was once in a decade, it would be bigger than once every two years. This is kind of how it works. Notre Dame would have a similar phenomenon, but every time you played them, it would feel huge, huge. And no, they're not in the Southeast, but I think that that – added phenomenon would benefit the league as a whole. And I, if I were the SEC, I would be on the phone. Hey, you can join our league. Come on. Look at our TV deal. When you join, we'll get to increase it by this much money a year, and we'll pay you more than the Big Ten will, I think, hopefully, depending on what Texas and Oklahoma do to that, that contract. And you play Alabama and LSU. And Texas and Oklahoma 
And your worst games are in Nashville or you're playing teams that are going to access bowls or ranked. They're good in every sport too. Like they, they're even good at baseball and I get what's his face just went to, uh, Oh, hell. Where, Blake Jarrett. Yeah. He went to Florida state, but like they're, they're good in just about every sport. Like I don't understand the cultural fit piece of it. Like, do I understand why the, why the SEC wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, Arizona State, hell yeah, Phoenix market, let's just do that off, right off the bat. Do I get that piece of it? Uh, yes. But outside of that, like, what does cultural fit actually mean? Because like, Notre Dame travels well, they have a huge fan base, and they were good in literally every sport. You can even throw women's basketball in there. I don't know if Muffet McGraw is still the coach there, but you get the point. Like, the, they're good in every sport. So, like, what does cultural fit mean? Because, like, I've been to Columbia, Missouri. That doesn't feel like an SEC town. But they filled that place out one night when Ole Miss was there in 2019. I get it that it's not the greatest program on earth. But, like, that, what does the cultural fit of it actually mean? Like, I, Notre Dame would be the, the kind of crown jewel left. And if you're the SEC and you already grabbed Texas and Oklahoma, why the hell would you not grab them? I mean, in an ideal world, wouldn't you want to grab USC – and Notre Dame, and then just tell everyone else to kind of middle fingers up in the air, you guys figure it out. Like, to me, Notre Dame's kind of the – I don't know if white whale is the white, right way to describe it, but if you were going to be selective and add someone else, you, and if you're comparing resumes, Clemson, Florida State, Notre Dame, why, who, who's, who's finishing first in that argument? Is it not Notre Dame? Yeah, and, and the cultural fit piece, uh, I mean, it's different. Again, it's Indiana. It's a religious school, but – the, the game day tradition there and the feeling of that doesn't get better than that, right? No, I mean, no. I, and there you're allowed alcohol. So, like, it's, it's you know, State went to BYU a few years ago. So, like, it's, 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 it's yeah. kind of the PG 13 version of that, I would assume. Yeah, that, that I, I am just completely intrigued uh, with Notre Dame. And, and again, and that's a very sports talk radio guy thing. And, and I'm, I'm becoming the people I'm making fun of, but I think Notre Dame and the SEC would, would be true added real monetary value that very few, if any programs left out can bring you. Yes. And look, I get the cultural fit part of it from the standpoint of, oh, they already played Michigan a bunch. They played Purdue a bunch. Like, does it make more sense for them to be in the Big Ten? Yes. I just don't understand the aspect of the SEC shouldn't pursue them because it's not a cultural fit. I, I don't get that part of it at all. Money's driving this entire thing. You have this gigantic brand, but you're not going to take them because of, like, touchdown Jesus and they're from yeah. the Midwest. Who, who, who cares? I mean, Clemson's a cultural fit. Uh, it, it has a very SEC feel. Now, if Clemson were to join the SEC, you guys are going to be disappointed in your road trips. Just stay in Greenville. There's no nightlife in Clemson. It's a very clean, nice town. It sucks to hang out in. Okay. I, I mean, tailgating's good. It, it's going to feel a little bit like Oxford. Uh, they, they, they aren't quite up to the nightlife or tailgating that you guys are used to. So, again, just stay in Greenville. But it feels SEC. I think North Carolina, uh, I've been to a game in Chapel Hill. I love the town, the area. Chapel Hill is really cool. Um, they would fit. Uh, NC State, I believe, would fit. Raleigh's a bigger place, but uh, I've been to a, an NC State game. It, it feels, feels like it would fit. Virginia Tech looks like it would fit. I've never been. Um, Florida State, 
I guess also to a degree would feel like it, but if cultural fits your driving factor, your options are, are kind of limited also. And I guess Oklahoma State cares a good bit. I've heard very bad things about Stillwater, um, but you've got bad towns in the SEC too, a handful of them, honestly. If we're being totally honest, there's a handful of bad towns in the SEC. It's, I mean, College Station stinks. Columbia, Missouri stinks. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Columbia, South Carolina myself. But, uh, you know, if that's really what this is boiling down to, um, Stillwater's fine, if what I've heard is accurate. Yeah, and I, I guess to kind of put a bow on this conversation, it's a great time to be an Ole Miss and State person because you're in the middle of this kind of – really rapidly changing landscape where college football is really just turning into a, is it fair to call this professional sports? Like I, I did, I don't even really know. Like, I guess the next thing to come would make these guys employees. And I don't know what goes into that, but like, this is all money driven and it has been for a long time. Now all of it's just more coming into light, whether it's NIL, um, like the transfer portal TV rights deals, it's all being driven by money. And so for the people that are hesitant that say, I don't recognize college football anymore, I guess this is the, the, the age-old question. Do you think this is good for college football? My question, answer is I don't really know, but I don't understand how it could end up being terrible, um, at least from a selfish vantage point from, like, the Ole Miss State perspective. I don't know how it could be worse. I could see how it would be worse for others. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, for the people listening to this, like I said earlier, if you're one of those that thinks that this is ruined, then – uh, I would encourage you to go week one or to as many games as you can. And you realize that the product for you has not changed at all. Um, I, I think we can get to a point where this will be too much, where, where it becomes too professionalized. Uh, I, I love the NFL myself. Uh, I think the product is phenomenal. Um, when people say there's no passion, like all oh, the players, they don't, they don't care the way college players do. That's not what I see. I mean, I've been to NFL games, man. It's, those guys are playing as hard as they can. I don't know. I've never understood that criticism of the NFL, that they're not playing hard, because that's not what I see when I watch and when I go. Um, but I get where people are coming from. It can get to a point where it's unrecognizable. I don't think we're there yet, though, because with – Two teams leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. We haven't lost anything that we've loved yet. And the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma, we, we've only added to, to what we've loved. Nothing in that regard has changed yet. Um, the, the money thing in NIL is a lot, but the best programs are still getting the best players the way they always have. Like when Jaden Rashada committed to Miami, and one of my group messages, guys are like, oh, well – you know, NIL sucks. Like we had no shot. And I thought, dude, you've lost players to money for the 12 years I've lived here. Every year Ole Miss has lost a player that they were recruiting to a school that paid him more. That, that's always happened. That's always happened. A particular linebacker from Horn Lake, for example, that was pre-NIL. I mean, that's always been an issue. So that, that, aspect of it doesn't bother me at all because that's how it's always been. The money's just a lot greater. Point is, once the season gets here, I don't think you'll see 
and feel any different about what is actually happening on the field or on your TV on Saturday. I don't think it'll look any different or feel any different when it actually comes time to kick the ball in the air. No, and the fans learn to adapt to anything, right? I get, we hate change in general. I mean, hell, our company changed from Oracle to Salesforce, or I guess the, actually the other way. And like, I didn't even have that much to do with it for like a month and a half. I was like, this sucks. Why do we do this? And of course, there's a million different reasons I don't understand. And a month and a half later, once I figured it out, it didn't make any difference. And I forgot I was pissed about it. I feel like that's probably how this is going to go from the fandom piece of it. Because they're not, eventually they're not, like at the end of the day, if, everyone is making more money and the stakes get higher. Like fans are not going to stop going to games and stop caring. People might like to say that and they may not like change because humans are just averse to change in general, but you'll get used to it. And eventually it'll become, I think a better product. Um, I mean, hell from an Ole Miss per se perspective, I would love to get out of this current setup of playing Alabama, Auburn, and LSU every single year in the SEC West while the SEC yep. East has been down for, you know, how long, however long you want to describe it. I would be pumped about that. I get it from the have-nots perspective. And look, Ole Miss is normally in that category, right? But like the Utahs of the world, the NC States, even Miami, their name's not really being circulated. I could see how that college football fan is like, well, what the hell is this? Um, but like from an SEC and an Ole Miss State perspective, I just think this is all different. I would describe it as exciting, and I would be cautiously optimistic about it because you're in great shape. You're not going anywhere. You're not getting your seat taken off the Ferris wheel. This is uh, You're going to be at the center of whatever the best version of this is. There will be other programs that get screwed and be at the worst version of it, um, and that's in a dog-eat-dog world. That's kind of their own problem. That's kind of just how business works yep. to some degree. Um, it's not all their fault. It's not fair. I mean, look, Larry Scott ruined a lot of things for a lot of people when this happened. But like, I mean, I was doing an interview the other day um, for the job I work at. And it was this customer that had worked with like a meat processing company in Argentina. Well, the guy got caught embezzling and was arrested by Argentinian police. Guess what? The guy that works at the meat packing plant in Fresno or wherever that was, he didn't know that, but the company still folds. Like it's not fair. It just kind of happens. And you kind of, you're kind of at the mercy of your leadership at times. And so I am curious to see, that's probably a great way to like end it and wrap up here. Where's the middle tier of college football go? Because there's a whole financial fever of buy games and really just even like the middle tier, like that's the American conference plus BYU and a couple others. What happens to them? Like, does this go to like a, like a soccer relegation type thing? I think that would be the most fun. Maybe it's Weldon's got me into soccer corner, but like a, a tier one and a tier two, like college football level would be awesome with relegation. Where do you think this goes on a more serious note? though? Yeah. Yeah. Relegation would be awesome, but uh, teams would never agree to it. Obviously. I don't know how they they've gotten them in Europe to agree to it, but um, here's what I'll say. And I've said this to Southern Miss fans who are really mad about this. And I tell them they shouldn't be because First of all, I, I grew up on FCS football. I've told your listeners this before. I tell mine way too much. Um, and those games every Saturday, on a, they're on a smaller scale. The fan bases are smaller. But you still get a whole hell of a lot out of a Saturday in Furman or in Billings, Montana, or in at Eastern Washington, or James, although they're moving up, James Madison, for example. So all of these FCS programs, who you know weren't in the SEC and didn't have these big television contracts with ESPN 
still played meaningful football that had incredible fan bases that filled their stadiums that gave a shit. And so, so now you look at what could happen to the middle of college football if a breakaway comes. Then all these teams that are left behind, what the 75, 80, 95, 100, whatever the number is that are left behind, if they're proactive and they're smart, they'll do something. They'll create a separate division within the NCAA. So you'll have, you know, this breakaway league and the FBS, which is now the, you know, the Sun Belt and, and all these leagues, the Pac-12, <laughs> Mountain West, whatever, and they play for their own championship. And does it feel the same? No. But one, I would watch, and two, it actually gives you something to play for. Southern Miss right now is playing for nothing. They're playing for nothing, a Sun Belt championship. But after that, there is no goal achievable besides hopefully win our conference and maybe, maybe get into an access bowl. Maybe on our best year in the history of our program, we might get into an access bowl. That is the ceiling of Southern Miss. That sucks. So if a breakaway does happen, they're going to be mad. Fans are. And they shouldn't be. Because if your conference and leadership does this right, you could actually have a championship to play for for the first time. Yes. The F, the, the, the non-Power Fives, the only like competitive sports leagues, whatever you want to call it, in, in the country that doesn't have anything to play for. Like, what exactly are you playing for? And I guess like the nothing. great anomaly with Cincinnati, you're not, it's not that you're not playing for nothing. You don't have a grand prize. And I think if there is a byproduct of this and it eventually becomes first tier, second tier, and maybe that's mostly just non-Power Fives kind of having finally their own thing, that would, when you talk about it being better or worse for the sport, that would probably end up being better for it. I mean, Weldon's got me following all these English football stuff now. And so now I get these, like, there's an entire, this is a bad example, but there's like an entire couple websites dedicated to like the second league in England. And I get it. Soccer is different over there, but like, can't tell me there wouldn't be interest in that. I don't know what that would look like, but that would be better than UCF and Cincinnati and Southern Miss and all these programs just being, all right, we'll play the schedule out. We'll try to win our conference, but then what? Like, at least you'll have a, then what? I don't know what it'll look like, but it'll probably be more competitive. And then, hell, if there's a relegation type deal, then boom, there you go. I don't think that's ever happening, but it would be kind of cool. No, and again, you're exactly right. I mean, if there are people that will continue to care, you just have to give them a reason to. I would argue right now the current setup is worse for a program yeah. like Southern Miss than what could potentially come down the road. So I'm just not prepared to do the hysterics of college football's ruin and this is all terrible for anybody other than like Washington state who's getting so screwed here, but for, for the sport, at large, uh, for the sport at large, I, I, you know, this is supposed to be a business where we have really strong takes. I don't have one on this one. I'm curious. I, I, I'm going to wait and see what this looks like, because I think if done correctly, this could end up being a better product than the one we currently have. Well, you, someone is in tune to, I mean, I Furman's FCS, but just kind of smaller tier Southern pocket college football. Um, Keith Gill, I believe, is the gentleman, the name in charge of the Sunbelt Conference. Uh, as other conferences are fumbling and scrambling around, guess who's come up on the second tier of this sitting pretty in Suntan City, uh, the Southern Belt Conference. Yeah. What would happen if the Pac-12 had Mr. Gill as their commissioner instead of Larry Scott? Like, would be in this position. 
yeah, whoever whoever's looking for a commissioner to to, to kind of make them, bring them toward competency, I'd take a look at this guy. They have a great conference now. Um, I'm gonna look up what their current members are. Um, but like they've they've been the one small conference that's come out on top of this realignment thing. They're probably Dude, the and, best and their television deal is great. Yes, their, their TV deal uh, more than half their games or they, they they increase their games on ESPN. ESPN2, ABC, and ESPNU by 50%. Um, you can watch every Sunbelt game if you have ESPN. You can watch every single one of them. You can't watch every Pac-12 game. It's impossible to find. That's incredible. Well, what a difference. It's almost like common sense. I guess it's not common. But what you get – I'm just making sure I have this right. You get Old Dominion – Southern Miss Marshall and James Madison, as far as football goes. Uh, Those are the new teams that just joined, but you've got App State, Coastal exactly, Carolina, uh, yeah. Georgia Southern, John uh, Summerall's Troy Trojans, ULL Sunbelt, right? Like, that's, yep. it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I don't know. I just wonder, like, what would happen if a guy like Dallas Commissioner that, but it's a fascinating landscape, man. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I'm sure the next time some sort of ripple will, uh, happens we'll do this again he is michael borky check him out on twitter got the youtube stream going also sports talk mississippi three to six every day i appreciate the time man this has been fun next time we'll have to sneak in a pelican's corner and uh and a couple other things but we'll catch you again soon all right man anytime you know it